Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. This morning, we're going to continue in our series uh, called Adorn, where we look at adorning the Gospels. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you will need them. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Titus chapter 2. If you're using a digital Bible, you can uh, use the NASB translation. That's what I primarily stay in. The New American Standard, if that's the way it's written in your digital Bible. Um, Titus chapter 2, as you guys are turning there, I want to uh, kind of just give a little bit of recap and maybe a couple of insights into what I feel like God has been speaking to me as we've walked through this series. Uh, All of us are called as Christians to adorn the gospel of God, okay? We're all called to adorn, and, and the book of Titus says, Paul writes to Titus and says specific words, he says to adorn the doctrine of Christ Jesus. But I've explained over the past couple of weeks how that is the gospel when we see in verse 11 of chapter 2 where it says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to men, comma, there's, there's more to what happens here. The grace of God appeared. The gospel of Jesus has been declared to do a couple of things. To bring salvation to men, yes, that is true. But it also instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. Uh, everybody say this with me. In the present age. I love that. Like that's today, church. That's right now. And so the gospel, the good, the good news uh, that we are to adorn in our lives, the, the doctrine of Jesus that we're to adorn, uh, is not just salvation uh, from sin and death. I, I say this over and over, but I'm going to keep saying it until as a, as a congregation, as a church, and as a community, we really do understand this. We're not just saved from sin and death, church. We're also saved to the spirit and life. We're saved to righteousness and kingdom living, and we're saved to glory, and we're saved to those things. Amen? So it's really important that we don't, we don't kind of take the, the, um, the generic approach to Christianity, which is, well, I prayed a prayer, I gave my life to Jesus, and uh, I basically get to get out of hell free, but I'm going to go back to my daily living. I'm going to go back to the way I was before. No, the truth is you're saved by mercy, and in view of that mercy... God's word says that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. This is so vital, right? The order is important. Mercy, then obedience, not the other way around. It's not obedience garnering mercy. I'm grateful for that because I just can't do it, okay? So in view of mercy, we're supposed to do this. So we're all called to adorn the gospel. We do so through righteous living. The picture that I gave to you in in the first two, well, three weeks of this is that the gospel serves as the masterpiece. It's the Mona Lisa, if you will. It doesn't need our help. It it doesn't need extra things uh, added to it to make it beautiful. It's beautiful on its own. But the things that are beautiful in this life, God has made it so that we would adorn that which is beautiful. So I shared with you before that that the gospel is the Mona Lisa, it's the masterpiece, and we're the frame. Our godly living, it's the frame around the masterpiece. And we are drawing attention to that glorious truth. 
We, we point to this. But here's what God has really kind of been working on me with over the past couple weeks. And that is that God adorns, he's made it a precedent in his word that God adorns that which is beautiful. God adorns that which is beautiful. Okay, so, so take Joseph, for example, in the, in the Old Testament. Joseph was uh, the most beloved of his brothers. And what did his father do as a result? He adorned him with a coat of many colors. There was something that made him unique. It set him apart. It was, just, it was special. God gave Joseph a dream in the Old Testament in which he would rule over everybody. You guys remember this story. Maybe you remember this story. He, he's to rule over everybody. But God doesn't just leave it there. God allows him to go into Egypt and he is kind of gone, he goes through some chaos, right? But he's put in position to rule over everybody. And the scripture says that Pharaoh adorns him with the signet ring, with this ring that says he is in charge. I could come to you all day long and say, my word goes, and you're like, yeah, under whose authority, right? By what authority? It's really important. So this was God's providential, this ring on Joseph's finger was his providential adornment. God adorns that which is beautiful. And, and so that's what we're supposed to do with the gospel. We're to adorn that which is beautiful. It is the Mona Lisa. It is the masterpiece. God himself adorned Israel. Do you know this? In the book of Ezekiel, we see this picture of God adorning Israel, and he adorns her with something special. He adorns her with godliness and righteousness. He adorns her with the law. I know that this is staggering, but, but the scripture tells us that what sets Israel apart is not just that they were one group of people chosen from among the rest of the world, but that they were one group of people who had laws and commands and statutes that people, when they saw them obeying these commands, they thought, truly, this is a people with whom God dwells, right? This is like, they are the people. This is beautiful because it's always been God's M.O., to adorn that which is beautiful with righteousness, with godliness. That's amazing. And so it fits. It all kind of falls right in line when we go into the New Testament and we see that Christians are to adorn, to frame in the beautiful masterpiece with our righteousness, with our holy living. In week one, we set the stage for this, or set the table, if you will. In week two, I talked to older men shared with you guys what it was that you were responsible for. In, in week three, last week, I talked to older women. And then I, I, not only did I share what the, the scripture says your responsibility is uh, with regards to adorning the gospel personally, but the exemplary life you're intended to live so that you can teach the young women what they're supposed to do. Everybody's clear on this, right? And this week, I want to talk to young men. I want to talk to young men, so uh, Luke, I'm talking to you. Okay, just embarrass more people, right? So anyway, but, but I, want, I want to talk to young men. If you, if you know a young man that, that really needs to hear this kind of truth, I encourage you to sit down with him. I'm not telling you to forward him a link and say, listen to this message. I'm asking you to sit down with that young man and listen to the message together and challenge him on the things that I'm going to challenge you on today. I want you to do that because this is really important. We, we have a challenge in our world. We have a, we have a problem in our world, and that is that, that men seem to be in short supply. Gender is present. 
right? There's, there's a bunch of guys out there, but men seem to be in short supply. And I believe that the reason for that is because we stopped training or raising men. We, we started somewhere a long time ago, started raising children. And what do you get when you raise children? Grown-up children, <laughs> right? We're raising young men. We're raising young women. And the reason why I believe that, that we're in short supply of men is because we haven't been raising them. We haven't been teaching them what they're supposed to do. So this morning, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to young men, and I want to talk about their responsibility. Uh, so here's, here's the passage in Titus, and then we're going to immediately go to the Old Testament. Titus chapter 2, verse 6 says this, likewise, verse, yeah, verse 6, uh, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Now, most of your Bible translations, except for the NASB, are going to put a period there. And I think they get it right, and the NASB gets it wrong in that. Uh, Greek didn't have punctuation, so the, the interpreters do their best to, to try to understand it. So it says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. The instruction to young men is to be sensible, period. But then it goes on, and it talk, Paul talks to Titus and says, and as a young man yourself, I want you to live an exemplary life so that they know what sensibility even looks like. Okay? So he says this. He says, urge the young men to be sensible. Then he turns his focus back to Titus and says, in all things, show yourself. He doesn't say, I want you to urge young men and then tell them to show themselves this way, although that's implied. He looks at Titus and he says, I want you to show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine because, well, Titus is a teacher and he needs to have purity in his doctrine. His doctrine. He is to be dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Now, as we go through today, you're going to see that there's a reason why young men need to do their job. <laughs> young men, there's a reason why you need to do your job. It's really, really important. So if, you, uh, if you're ready in your Bibles, turn back to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, I love this verse. And I hope you'll bear with me today because I'm just going to, God has been kind of rewriting my message in my mind about 17,000 times. So, uh, smile. Anyway, so Proverbs, but I have a clock, so I'll try to make sure it's, it's short. Yeah, right. Anyway, okay, Proverbs 20, verse 29. This is amazing. The glory of young men is their strength. The glory of young men is their strength. Now, I just I need to point out some, some important things. And the honor of old men is their gray hair. What was gray hair in the, in the scriptures? It's wisdom, okay? It's, it's, it's not just glorious gray hair. Although my mom has some glorious gray hair, right? It's, it's fantastic, okay? And one of these days, I'll probably be as white as that too. So it's pretty epic, right? So there, there's glory in gray hair if you do it right, okay? But this is, <laughs> sorry, John. Anyway, so, <laughs> so there's glory in gray hair, but in, in, in the older. But what we're referring to here is wisdom. What is amazing, though, is what it says about the youth. It says the glory of young men is their strength. It is actually an amazing thing that young men have energy and vigor and, and strength. Amen? God himself says it's the glory of young men to be strong. Here, here's the problem, though. It is not the glory of young men to be strong 
and not subject to older men who have wisdom. It's not good to have power out of control, is it? No, it's just, it's just a bad situation. And, and how many older men can I have raised their hands this morning that say, I used to be a young man with strength out of control? I kind of still am. Okay, anyway, okay, so it's unbelievable that young men are intended to have a great deal of strength. Most young men get too prideful in this. They look around and they say, I can do things that nobody else can do. That does not mean you should do them. <laughs> but they can do many things that other people can't do. And they get excited about their strength. And you should be excited about your strength. That's amazing. But what young men need to start off understanding, and this is so that they might adorn the gospel of Jesus to the best of their ability, they need to understand that although strength is their glory, their strength can fade. And their strength with age will fade. And I don't need amens, okay? So, but with age, your strength will fade. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 28 through 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? Okay, young men, what's your glory? It's your strength, okay? But you need to hear something. God does not weary or tire over time. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. Who's the source of our strength, church? God. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks, might he increase, uh, lacks might, he increases power. Verse 30, though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So it is clear in Scripture that God has given glory to young men. That glory is their strength. That strength fades. But what young men fail to remember, especially young men of the current culture, is the way to renew your strength is not for you to just go get a couple hours of sleep. It's not for you to find a better uh, position in life. It's not for you to get better friends or these things. It's for you to wait on Jesus, period. You want to adorn the gospel, you need to learn something that the older Christians around you know better than you, and that is how to wait. Show of hands, old or young, how hard is it? How many of you struggle with waiting? Struggle with waiting. Waiting on the Lord is what renews our strength and nothing else, okay? And young men need to understand this. The first way you adorn the gospel, the first way that you can live a sensible life is for you to learn to wait. What does waiting on the Lord look like? What does waiting on the Lord look like? Have you ever thought about actually reading your Bible, young men? Have you ever thought about actually getting some alone time and praying? Listen, we're so preoccupied with life. We're so busy. We've got something going all the time. I can't tell you how many, this is, problem, this is a problem for me, but how many digital devices can be going at one time? 
in my life, okay? It's just everything's gone. And my wife is, okay, so they say that women can multitask and men are just men, right? But it's reversed in our family, okay? And so Sarah's like, give me one thing, don't you dare put another thing on there or I'm lost, okay? And I'm over here juggling 45 things. The truth is I don't do any of them well, but, <laughs> but I can juggle 45 things. And I have all these things going because it is terribly hard for me to stop. It's terribly hard for me to wait. Oddly enough, I'm supposed to be teaching young men that this is the way strength is renewed. I'm supposed to teach my daughters this is the way strength is renewed. And yet I'm failing at it miserably. So, so we need to learn as adults, we need to learn as Christians across the board what it means to wait on the Lord, what it means to renew our strength the proper way. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Barney Estes shared this this morning, and it was just an absolute uh, revelation to me with re respect to this message. Uh, just an amazing thing. Here's what Psalm 119, starting at verse 9. It's the longest psalm in all the scriptures, so we're just going to read a portion of it. But Psalm 119, starting at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? The first answer to that question is learn to wait on the Lord. Okay, but let's define waiting on the Lord. Let's look at what that looks like by keeping it according to your word. By keeping it according to whose word? God's word. What does a young man do to renew his strength? He waits on the Lord. What does waiting on the Lord look like? He keeps God's word. It is not by keeping your own way. It's not by keeping the latest psychologist's plan for your life or the latest motivational speaker's plan for your life. It's not about finding the right rhythm unless that rhythm is learning to wait. And we just struggle with this, okay? Young men, you will go a long way in adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ if you can learn to wait. And when you wait, you keep God's word. Verse 10, he goes, he says, With all my heart... I have sought you. Obviously, the writer of this psalm uh, looks, him, looks at himself as a young man. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. How do we beat sin? Treasure God's word in our heart. You can't know what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do if you don't read. <laughs> right? Like This is, I know, revolutionary. Nate's not here to preach anything new. It's just plagiarizing the Bible. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. When's the last time you cried out to God and said, God, I want to learn your ways? We ought to be this people. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I have told you all the ordinances. Uh, with my lips, I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I've, I've, I've spoken this. I've declared it. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. Verse 16, finally. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. First thing that young men need to understand about adorning the gospel is that we adorn the gospel through the strength God gives us. But that strength will fade. 
And when that strength fades, the only way to replenish it, the only way to get it back is for you to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord means that you are in his word, you are trusting him, not your own opinion, not your own ideas. And listen, I would rather you open your Bible than listen to me any day because there's a chance I can get it wrong. But the word of God stands forever and you need to remember that. So we need to remember his statutes. We need to meditate on them day and night. We need to get them in our minds. So back to Titus chapter 2. Paul says to Titus, who is a young man, he is, according to chapter 1 verse 4, my true child in the common faith. Same message, same uh, uh, identifier, title, that Paul gives to Timothy in Timothy's letter. They were young men uh, on fire for the gospel. They didn't have wives or kids or anything like that yet. And they were, they were fired up for the kingdom. And they were called to do something very powerful for the kingdom. And so he says uh, to a young man, I want you to urge the young men to be sensible. And then in all things, I want you to live the example. I want you to be a young man filled with strength, but always filled with strength. That when you grow weak, you run to me. And then I'll replenish your strength, and you can live an example. You can show these young men what's up. That's my translation, okay? So here, here's, here's some pretty cool observations, stuff for you to write down. Unlike Paul's instruction to Titus for older men, older women, their instruction to younger women, Paul instructs young men and bond slaves, Titus, to instruct young men and bond slaves through a method of urging. That word urge is there, right? Likewise, urge the young men. He doesn't say urge older men. He doesn't say urge older women, okay? I, I think there's a significance to this, and I'll, I'll point it out in just a second. It does not mean that Titus has less authority with those people. Look at verse 15. It says, these things, Titus, speak everything that I've told you, whether to older men, older women, or anybody else. Speak, that is to say it. Exhort, that is to teach it. And reprove, that is to correct error. Reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. That's a pretty powerful uh, you know, commission there. This is uh, Joseph's signet ring in Egypt. This is the coat of many colors. This is an adorning of a position, of a right position inside of the gospel. And so, or it writes a position inside of the church. And so Paul says, don't let anybody disregard you. However, to young men, I want you to urge them. You know what that word is? That word urge in the New Testament is actually the word parakaleo. You know what we use that word for all throughout the New Testament? The Holy Spirit. He is the paraclete. He is the helper, the comforter, as well as the urger. Can you say that with me? The urger. <laughs> Come on, I need you to say it because I want to watch you say it. He's the urger. Okay, awesome. You guys are, you guys are beautiful people, I tell you. Okay, so, so this is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that although the Holy Spirit is a spirit, uh, although the Holy Spirit is a spirit, he uses men and women to do his job? 
How many of you know that? He uses teachers. He uses prophets. He uses apostles and evangelists and pastors. He uses moms and dads. He uses older men and older women. He, he uses everybody to do his job, to do what he has called them to do. And in this case, the pastor teacher has a responsibility, and that is to be the hands and feet of the Spirit of God in urging in pushing forward young men to be sensible. That's the responsibility. Now, I have a picture of what urging looks like for a pastor towards young men, right? It's called a headlock. I think, that is a, I think that's a legitimate form of urging, okay? I'm not so sure the Holy Spirit does it, but, but I think it's a legitimate form. So, Luke, can we display that for every, No, I'm, just, I'm not, not going to do that, right? Let's model urging in Jesus, headlocks. But this is, the, this is a, an important distinction in instructing young men. You are to urge the young men to be sensible. You are to push them along inside of this. Now... What does being sensible mean? Recognizing, number one, your glory is strength. Number two, that your strength fades. Number three, that waiting on the Lord is the only way to renew that strength. How you wait on the Lord is to study his word, to understand his precepts, to glory in those things. But here is, here's a couple of other ways that we can be sensible. Uh, we can be sensible uh, by, showing, uh, by showing ourselves to be a good example or an example of good deeds. So young men, if you are a person who is zealous for good deeds, as a matter of fact, that's what the scripture says we were, we were all bought for. We were bought with, with a price. God chose a people, separated us so that we might be zealous for good deeds. If you are a person of good deeds, good deeds according to the Bible, not good deeds according to the world, but good deeds according to the scriptures, you show yourself to be a sensible young man. That's what it looks like to be sensible. And you ought to do that. And, and everybody else who's in here that's an example to a young man, you have a responsibility. Be an example of good deeds. Show them what that's like. Show them what kindness looks like. Show them what compassion looks like. Show them what it means to not fly off the handle, to hold your temper, to, you know, to be a person that trusts in God. Show them what those things look like. All the days of my life, I, I, I pray I pray, I pray, I pray. Not only that I would teach my young girls, and Sarah's already teaching them, and she's awesome, but I pray that I would teach my young girls what a godly man should look like so that when they're choosing godly men, they can spot a fake a mile away. Can I get an amen, Todd? <laughs> Todd's back there like, heck yeah, right? I want them to be able to spot a fake a mile away. Remember our culture's problem. We're raising children, not adults. We need to start raising young men again. Well, how do we raise young men? Teach them to wait on the Lord. Teach them to rest in Jesus. Teach them to, to glory in his precepts. To teach these young men that, that their priority is not Xbox. Teach them that their priority is Jesus and his word and what he has called us to. And listen, when that is deeply ingrained in their heart, it will flow out in all the other areas of their life. But until it does, it won't. It won't. And listen, time is short, church, so don't think you've got tomorrow, right? We, we love to say this, oh, I got tomorrow. We'll get to it tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow's not promised. You've got today, and while it is a day called today, do your job. 
That's what the word of God would tell us to do. Likewise, urge young men to be sensible. One way, an exemplary life of good deeds. The second, purity in doctrine. Purity in your doctrine. This is moms, dads, this is older people completely. Like, you have a responsibility to have purity in your doctrine. We live in a fortunate time in our culture with the advent of the internet and YouTube and all of those other things that, that we have more access than ever before to, um, to biblical teaching. But I don't believe we have more access than ever before to sound biblical teaching. <laughs> I believe that we have access to a lot of people giving a lot of thoughts and a lot of ideas. I believe that we have more sermons at our disposal than any other generation in any other time. And yet, there's a whole lot of hogwash being spouted out. Listen, the, the, the scripture tells us that we need to have purity in our doctrine. Young men, you need to have purity in your doctrine. Older men and older women, you need to be an example of purity in your doctrine. Which means we need to dive into God's word enough that we can, like my daughters, hopefully will be able to someday spot a fake young man, uh, you know, spot the ungodly young man, to spot false doctrine. There's so much nonsense out there. And listen to me very clearly. Even pastors and teachers that you trust can miss it in certain areas. So please, be vigilant in what you're listening to. We have so many strayed doctrines and ideas, that pet doctrines that people have accepted and welcomed into the church, and it really has done harm. Maybe it's not the harm of leading people to an apostate life or, or you know, accepting atheism or agnosticism or something like this, but, but it has done great harm in that they don't see Jesus for who he is. They don't see God for who he is. And so the gospel they promote is a, is a skewed gospel. The gospel they believe is a skewed gospel. They just they miss this in so many areas. The, the, the God they're leading people to is not the God of the scripture. It's the God of their emotions that week. It's the God of their mind that day. And, and so we're inviting people to my Jesus, not God's Jesus. <laughs> right? And so we've got to make sure that we're clear on this. We need to be pure in our doctrine. Our doctrine comes from the word of God. We need to go back to that all the time, delighting in what God says, calling out things that are false. Without, listen, you can call out what is false without being a jerk. You can. You can call it out. This is important. Argument and debate. Say those two words with me. Argument and debate. Those are not bad words. But in a culture that can't take any kind of Tension. You start an argument with somebody, you start a debate with somebody, and they panic. Why? They think you hate them. That's not actually true. I think argument and debate are probably two very loving things. Uh, if people will have the ears and hearts to participate, right? And so it's really important. Purity and doctrine. We got to so, uh, see what is right. Uh, they are to be dignified. That's what a young man should be. Dignified. Holy in all their behavior. What did we learn about older women last week? Older women are to be holy in their behavior. What did I define it as? It, it, it means behavior that the very actions of which is a great lesson. Right? Your very actions serve as a great lesson. This is what young men should be too. Okay. Is that what marks young men in today's culture? Come on, I need some heads nodding yes or nodding no. Right? No more hand raising because you guys are boycotted me. Okay, so yes, no. So when you think of young men, okay, is the first thing that comes to your mind, 
integrity. I like the laughter because that communicates what's real, okay? Integrity is the first thing that comes to mind. Dignified is the first thing that comes to mind. Video games. Yes. (laughs) Right? That's the first thing that comes to mind for young men. It's also the first thing that comes to mind for many adults, too. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me in the culture we live in. So, so what happens when you meet a young man who's dignified and who's respectable? What happens? You want me to tell you what I do? I lock them up in my house till my daughters get older. <laughs> so, so watch out. If your son goes missing, sorry. If he's, a, if he's a man of integrity, if he's, if he's a boy of upstanding character, right? We are so shocked by it, we say things like, man, you're wise beyond your years, right? No, the truth is they're real young men. Young men. They're just not young children or older children. That's, that's what we need, okay? So, so what we're looking for in young men is our... our People who are sensible, the right tool for the right job and the right, you know, the right situation. We need to have young men who are examples of good deeds. We need to have young men who have purity in their doctrine. And they need a teacher uh, to help them understand what is true and good and right. They need to be dignified. That's what a young man looks like. How about this? Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. What's the vocabulary of most young men? Don't say it. Don't, don't say it, okay? But you know what I'm thinking, right? The vocabulary of a lot of young men is just inappropriate for most conversations. And they are supposed to be godly young men. Moms and dads, if you're raising boys, you are to raise them to be young men who are sound in their speech. Wow. To me, that's fantastic and terribly difficult. Sound in speech. It's a big deal. So teach your young men to be sound in their speech. But look at what happens if young men are sound in their speech. Next verse says, and all the world falls on their backsides. No, (laughs) but they will be shocked by this, right? They're all blown away. Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Sound speech is beyond reproach. So that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. Having nothing bad to say about us. Turn with me to Amos chapter 8. I'm skipping all over the place and you should smile about it. Where am I going? You ever go in the wrong direction in your Bible? Yeah. Come on. It's a fine-tuned thing. (laughs) I'm still going in the wrong direction. See, it doesn't matter. Professional Christian, I'm still a slacker. Anyway, Amos chapter 8. There we go. Verses 11 through 13. Now, this was a, this was a prophetic word uh, that was given to Israel, okay? This is a prophetic word given to Israel. But I want to share with you that this is part and parcel uh, to what I believe is going on. It's, it's not for today, but I believe we can see observable traits from the Old Testament in today's world. Okay, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Verse 11, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water. Okay, so right off the bat, just understand, God has declared a famine. famine. It's not of bread and water. What is it? Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. Do Do you hear that? 
I mean, seriously, think about this. There's a famine in the land, in Israel at this time. There's a famine coming, or coming. There's a famine coming in which it's not bread and water, but it's the very word of God is in short supply. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not hunger for it. There's hunger for it. Look what happens. It says, people will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Why? Because God is withholding this at this time. This is why it's really important. Okay. There, uh, God is withholding this. He has declared a famine on the land. People will stagger from sea to sea, from the north even to the east, and they will go to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men, this is really important, will faint from thirst. What, what's the response? What do young men, how do young men regain their strength? Abiding in the word of God, right? Waiting on the Lord, coming back to him. In this day, we see that Israel was going to go through this very thing. And it was also young women too. Now, that's the distinction in the Bible for young women without children and without husbands. It was virgins, that's the distinction. But still, they were to uh, be faint from their thirst. Why? It was a thirst from a lack of the word of God. Okay, in today's world, we have tons of access to the Word of God, but we just have a lot of distorted nonsense. It is so vital that we get back to purity of doctrine. It's so vital that we get back to sound communication, sound teaching, sound speech from the pastor, from the teacher, because we're not in a famine of God's Word, but we're still not getting it. Do you know that? We're not in the famine that these guys are in, but we're still not getting the truth. And so people are hungering and they're thirsting. And what I believe we're seeing is a bunch of young men that are not adorning the gospel because there's nothing really substantive that is being delivered to them. They're not hearing anything. Here's what I believe about young men from my experience and even from my life now. I believe young men want mentors. I believe young men want leaders over them. I believe they hunger for it. I believe that's why when dads are absent in the family, there's chaos that ensues. I believe that young men want mentors. I believe this is why after school programs for children, usually without fathers, uh, go booming because they want a mentor. I believe this is why young men who have a coach in school, who, you know, somebody that teaches them their sport or their craft or whatever, they, they latch on to that man for years Right to the point that maybe if they do have a good dad, they kind of make their dad jealous, okay? But they latch, I believe that young men want leaders. They, they latch on to people. I believe it's evident in our culture. I believe we latch on to somebody somewhere all the time. Bob Dylan, greatest prophet ever. <laughs> Bob, Dylan, Bob Dylan once said, that's total, total nonsense, but Bob Dylan once said, you're going to serve somebody, right? You guys know this phrase, you're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. I believe that that same thing is true in our following of men. You're going to serve somebody. If young men don't have a dad or an older man or a pastor teacher or somebody that is willing to teach them sound doctrine and lead them in the right way, guess who they'll follow? The, the, the uh, avatar on the other side of their video game screen. Like, I like that guy. He seems to speak my language. Yeah, but he's like 12 like you are. <laughs> Right? So this is a problem. 
okay? So we have this issue. Young men want mentors, and, they have a res- and we have a responsibility to be those mentors, I believe. I know that some of that is a little bit uh, scattered from the, from the main point, but I really think we need to come back as leaders and get this right, okay? So in Israel, the famine in the land, onset by God, was that the word of God wouldn't be present. And they would hunger for it, but they wouldn't find it. In today's world, I believe that people are still hungering for it, but they can't find it through all the mess. Through all the mess. There's a lot of Christians claiming Christianity, but not teaching what God's word actually says. And then when you confront them about it and you say, but the Bible says, they go, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're one of those Bible thumpers. You correct them on it and you say, yeah, but the Bible doesn't actually say that. And they go, oh, you're a Pharisee, a modern day Pharisee. And what you have to do in that moment is just grin and bear it, right? You just have to kind of suck that up and move on. But the truth is there's plenty in the word of God. It's present here today. The spirit of God abides with people and yet young men are hungry for it and they're lost inside of this. Turn lastly to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. So here's what happens when God hits Nathan in the middle of the week with all kinds of stuff. I apologize already. But you guys probably all know this passage of Scripture. And I take this literally, okay? I take this very literally. You'll, ex- you'll hear why in just a second. It's 127, Psalm 127, starting at verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. I take that literally. They're a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Take that literally. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. I take that literally, but I take this specifically literally. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, please go to Sarah after church today and try to say one more. Nathan wants, yeah, let's go with one more. No, don't, don't do that. Anyway, like the, the quiver. I love Sam and Kate and Joe and whatever that other one's name is. But, <laughs> but, but, but I'm always wanting more. Here's, okay, tongue and cheek aside, being stupid because it's already gone too far. Sorry, guys. So tongue and cheek aside, too, too much. Here's what I think this, here's what I believe is said in this um, both, both on the surface as well as uh, in the deep places of Scripture. I believe that there are layers of Scripture. I believe that God teaches us things where, you know, at one point in our life, we understood it a certain way. And then when we grew in maturity, we say things like, man, that, I got a whole new thing from that. I don't believe you ever got a new thing. I believe that you finally understood the thing, right? I mean, God's word is deep. But, but you know what I'm talking about. So, so here's, what, here's what he says. He says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. What are young men in the hands of their fathers? What are they? They're arrows. What are arrows? An offensive weapon. Your children, young men, young women too, young men are an offensive weapon. Here's a real struggle for me, and I know that I'm going to struggle with this as the years come. What do you do with an arrow when you pull the string back? Say it out loud. Say it louder. Okay. You let it go for what biblical purpose? 
to beat the enemy, right? To hit the target, to take on that which has set itself up against us. Every stronghold, every, uh, every foolish thought that the devil has, has done. See, our children are our arrows. Young men, you are arrows that were supposed to be arrows in the hand of your earthly father. Even if your earthly father screwed that all up, messed that whole thing up, you are still arrows in the hands of our heavenly father. Okay, And when he pulls back that bow, he lets go. I've got to learn to let go. I'm going to get there some point in my life, okay? Right? i got daughters, but it's, it's going to be hard. But uh, I've got to let go. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, who are what? If they were young men, they were filled with sound doctrine. They were men of uh, respect. They were men of dignity, the young men of dignity, all these different things. And look at what happens in the next line. It says, Uh, How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemy in their gate. Who's not going to be ashamed? Dad's not going to be ashamed. Why? Because I'm pulling the string back to let my girls go, and I want them to be everything God called them to be, and I know they'll be saved. What's the word say? Train up your children in the way they should go, and in the end, they won't depart from it. The reason why our kids depart from it most of the time is not because God's promise fails, because you didn't do your daggone job to begin with. And I say that with deep humility because I'm not even there yet, but I'm trying. We pull back that string. We let them go. We are not afraid of any enemy. Why? Because they are gods, and they are powerful. Young men, you are an arrow. You do not have as your aim to win the next level on the video game you're playing. You have as your aim to take out the enemy of enemies for the king of kings. Young men, you want to adorn the gospel? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Be a reasonable young man the way God has called you to be. Use the glory that God has given you, that's your strength, by the way, for the kingdom of God. Use it for the kingdom, okay? When, you, when your strength fades, and it will, can I get an amen, older men? Amen. Okay, you know, and it will fade. You wait on the Lord. What is waiting on the Lord? You get back in God's word. You get filled up again so that your strength will be strong again. And then, guess what you need to do? Be the arrow in the hands of your heavenly Father the way he called you to be. You want to be a man of God, a young man of God who adorns the gospel? You're on a mission. It's Jesus' mission, not anybody else's. That's how you adorn the gospel. This is challenging, guys. This is challenging. Now, this is my closing piece. For those of you who feel you've done this wrong, I just want to say something. For those of you who feel you've done this wrong, if your child, if your adult is living... Okay, like as in you raised them, but now they're out of the house and whatever. And you feel you've done it wrong. Take a deep breath. Seriously, if that's you, take a deep breath. (laughs) Okay, okay, take a deep breath. Breathe out. Ask God for forgiveness. Say, God, I either need you to forgive me because of my ignorance. I didn't know this was my job. Many of you didn't. I understand. Many many of you... uh, may have known it was your job, but you, you had nobody to model it for you. Okay, I get that, okay? Repent, God, I'm sorry. That's repentance. That's not an offensive word either, just like argument and debate isn't a bad word. So repentance, you should repent. And then here's what you should pray. You should say, God, help me to do my job now to the, to the best of my ability. If I have influence over my adult, 
you know, offspring, if I have influence over them, please help me to speak to them. Please help me to influence their life. Please help me to, to put an arrow tip on that arrow that you gave me many years ago. Help me to do the job that I'm supposed to do. And Lord, with your blessing, I know that I will have arrows, you will have arrows, and the kingdom will run, right? This is, this is what you're praying. You're praying to God, God, give me a chance. Give me an opportunity now. Listen, the older I get, this is crazy. You, you may think this is different because the culture says otherwise. The older I get, the more I value what my dad has to say. It's true. The older I get, the more I realize the wisdom that his father gave him was important. And he has been looking for a way to share that. And sometimes he just, you know, sometimes he doesn't, he didn't know how, whatever. He was learning how to be a dad too, right? So maybe he didn't. But the older I get, the more I value that. Why? I think because for the first time in my life, I know I was made as a weapon for the king. All you young men, you're a weapon for the king if you're submitted to Jesus. All you fathers, all you mothers out there, you're there to have those weapons ready. Pull it back, let it go, watch it do what it does. Amen? So if, if, you've, if you've lived this life and you, you're like, man, I, I, just, I feel like I botched it, I did it all wrong. Repent and pray that God would give you opportunity now. Amen? Moms, dads, moms, dads, pray that God would give you opportunity now. Because I believe that God is a promise-keeping God. I believe that God is a promise-making God. And I believe that God will make a covenantal promise with you as an individual. I believe he'll make a covenantal promise with you that if you will submit your ways to him, he will redeem what has been lost. Right? He'll redeem what is lost. So this morning, you know, we, we come to kind of a close of, of the main people groups. Next week, I'm going to wrap up, Lord willing, I'm going to wrap up the series and, and give a brief statement about the bond servant issue that we see here. And I, and I am going to make a, a, a statement about racial tensions and racial issues and those things um, uh, because I want you to see what I believe, and you can test me on it, but I, I want to show you what I believe the Bible actually says about those things. What a part of that is, is gospel-related, what is not gospel-related, what is a product of the fall and, and just a reality of our lives. So I'm going to talk about that. But today, it brings us to a close of older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. If you missed any part of that and you're in, intrigued by this, I want you to go back and listen to it. I want you to learn what it looks like. I, I think we should all uh, learn what these calls are for all of us because we can hold each other accountable, right? We can train each other up in these things and, and help hold each other accountable. So uh, I, I just, I think there's so much that we get to do as Christians in adorning the gospel. Uh, and we all have a place. We all have a part to play in it. Amen? Older men, older women, younger women, younger men. You have a part. You have a part. And it's a, it's a beautiful part. It's a beautiful part. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.